0: Back to the Australian Histories Podcast. In this short episode, I'll be reading one of Henry Lawson's short stories or sketches. If you listen to episode 44, Henry Lawson, you'll note that I am taking a short break in January and won't be producing a history show until February. So I'm going to read a few of the sketches and poems that Henry Lawson wrote or that I mentioned in that episode, just to keep us going until the next uh, history episode in February. Today I'm reading The Drover's Wife, published in the Bulletin in July 1892. The two-roomed house is built of round timber, slabs and stringy bark, and the floors with split slabs. A big bark kitchen standing at one end is larger than the house itself, veranda included. Bush all around, bush with no horizon, for the country is flat, no rangers in the distance the bush consists of stunted rotten native apple trees no undergrowth nothing to relieve the eye save the darker green of a few she oaks which are sighing above the narrow almost waterless creek nineteen miles to the nearest sign of civilization a shanty on the main road the drover an ex-squatter is away with sheep his wife and children are left here alone Four ragged, dried-up-looking children are playing about the house. Suddenly, one of them yells, "'Snake! Mother, here's a snake!' The gaunt, sun-brown bushwoman dashes from the kitchen, snatches her baby from the ground, holds it on her left hip and reaches for a stick. "'Where is it?' "'Here, gone into the wood-heap!' yells the eldest boy, a sharp-faced, excited urchin of eleven. "'Stop there, Mother. I'll have him. Stand back. I'll have the beggar!' "'Tommy, come here, or you'll be bit. "'Come here at once when I tell you, you little wretch.' The youngster comes reluctantly, carrying a stick bigger than himself. Then he yells triumphantly, "'There it goes! Under the house!' and darts away with the club uplifted. At the same time, the big, black, yellow-eyed dog of all breeds, who has shown the wildest interest in the proceedings, breaks his chain and rushes after the snake. He is a moment late, however, and his nose reaches the crack in the slabs just as the end of its tail disappears. Almost at the same moment the boy's club comes down and skins the aforesaid nose. Alligator takes small notice of this, and he proceeds to undermine the building, but he is subdued after a struggle and chained up. They cannot afford to lose him. The drover's wife makes the children stand together near the doghouse while she watches for the snake. She gets two small dishes of milk and sets them down near the wall to tempt it to come out, but an hour goes by and it does not show itself. It's near sunset and a thunderstorm is coming. The children must be brought inside. She will not take them into the house, for she knows the snake is there, and it may at any moment come up through the cracks in the rough slab floor. So she carries several armfuls of firewood into the kitchen and then takes the children there. The kitchen has no floor, or rather an earthen one, called a ground floor in this part of the bush. There is a large, roughly-made table in the centre of the place. She brings the children in and makes them get on this table. There are two boys and two girls, mere babies. She gives them some supper, and then, before it gets dark, she goes into the house and snatches up some pillows and bedclothes, expecting to see or lay her hand on the snake any minute.' She makes a bed on the kitchen table for the children and sits down beside it to watch all night. She has an eye on the corner and a green sapling club laid in readiness on the dresser by her side, together with her sewing basket and a copy of the Young Lady's Journal. She's brought the dog into the room. Tommy turns in, under protest, but he says he'll lie awake all night and smash that blinded snake. His mother asks him how many times has she told him not to swear. He has his club with him under the bedclothes, and Jackie protests. Mummy, Tommy's skinning me alive with his club. Make him take it out. Tommy, shut up, you little. Do you want to be bit with the snake? Jackie shuts up. If you bit, says Tommy after a pause, you'll swell up and smell and turn red and green and blue all over till you bust, won't you, Mother? Now then, don't frighten the child. Go to sleep, she says. The two younger children go to sleep, and now and then Jackie complains of being skeezed. More room is made for him. Presently, Tommy says, Mother, listen to them blanky little possums. I'd like to screw their blanky necks. And Jackie protests drowsily. But they don't hurt us, the little blanks. Mother, there, I told you you'd teach Jackie to swear. But the remark makes her smile. Jackie goes to sleep presently tommy asks mother do you think they'll ever extricate the blanky kangaroo lord how am i to know child go to sleep will you wake me up if the snake comes out yes go to sleep near midnight the children are all asleep and she sits there still sewing and reading by turns from time to time she glances around the floor and the wall plate and whenever she hears a noise she reaches for the stick A thunderstorm comes on, and the wind rushing through the cracks in the slab wall threatens to blow out her candle. She places it on a sheltered part of the dresser and fixes up a newspaper to protect it. At every flash of lightning, the cracks between the slabs gleam like polished silver. The thunder rolls and the rain comes down in torrents. Alligator lies at full length on the floor, with his eyes turned towards the petition. She knows by this that the snake is there. There are large cracks in that wall opening under the floor of the dwelling house. She's not a coward, but recent events have shaken her nerves. A little son of her brother-in-law was lately bitten by a snake and died. Besides, she has not heard from husband for six months and is anxious about him. He was a drover and started squatting here when they were married. The drought of eighteen ruined him. He had to sacrifice the remnant of his flock and go droving again. He intends to move his family into the nearest town when he comes back, and, in the meantime, his brother, who keeps a shanty on the main road, comes over about once a month with provisions. The wife still has a couple of cows, one horse and a few sheep. The brother-in-law kills one of the sheep occasionally, gives her what she needs of it, and takes the rest in return for the other provisions. She is used to being left alone, she once lived like this for eighteen months. As a girl, she built the usual castles in the air, but all her girlish hopes and aspirations have long been dead. She finds all the excitement and recreation she needs in the young lady's journal, and, heaven helper, takes pleasure in the fashion plates. Her husband is an Australian, and so is she. He is careless, but a good enough husband. If he had the means, he would take her to the city and keep her there like a princess. They are used to being apart, or at least she is. No use fretting, she says. He may forget sometimes that he is married, but if he has a good cheque when he comes back, he will give most of it to her. When he had money, he took her to the city several times, hired a railway sleeping compartment, and put up at the best hotels. He also brought her a buggy but they had to sacrifice that along with the rest. The last two children were born in the bush, one while her husband was bringing a drunken doctor by force to attend her. She was alone on this occasion and very weak. She had been ill with fever. She prayed to God to send her assistance. God sent Black Mary, the whitest gin in all the land, or at least God sent King Jimmy first and he sent Black Mary. He put his black face around the doorpost, took in the situation at a glance and said cheerfully, All right, missus, I'll bring my old woman. She's down along a creek. One of her children died while she was out here alone. She rode 19 miles for assistance carrying the dead child. It must be near one or two o'clock. The fire is burning low. Alligator lies with his head resting on his paws and watches the wall. He is not a very beautiful dog to look at, and the light shows numerous old wounds where the hair will not grow. He is afraid of nothing on the face of the earth, or under it. He will tackle a bullock as readily as he would tackle a flea. He hates all other dogs, except kangaroo dogs, and has a marked dislike to friends or relations of the family. They seldom call, however. He sometimes makes friends with strangers. He hates snakes, and has killed many, but he will be bitten some day and die most snake dogs end that way now and then the bushwoman lays down her work and watches and listens and thinks she thinks of things in her own life for there is little else to think about the rain will make the grass grow and this reminds her how she fought a bushfire once while her husband was away The grass was long and very dry, and the fire threatened to burn her out. She put on an old pair of her husband's trousers and beat out the flames with a green bough, till great drops of sooty perspiration stood out on her forehead and ran in streaks down her blackened arms. The sight of his mother in trousers greatly amused Tommy, who worked like a little hero by her side. But the terrified baby howled lustily for his mummy! The fire would have mastered her but for four excited bushmen who arrived in the nick of time. It was a mixed-up affair all round. When she went to take up the baby, he screamed and struggled convulsively, thinking it was a black man. An alligator, trusting more to the child's sense than his own instinct, charged furiously, and... Being old and slightly deaf did not, in his excitement, at first recognise his mistress's voice, but continued to hang on to the mole skins until choked off by Tommy with a saddle strap. The dog's sorrow for his blunder and his anxiety to let it be known that it was all a mistake was as evident as his ragged tail and a twelve-inch grin could make it. It was a glorious time for the boys, a day to look back to, to talk about, to laugh over for many years. She thinks how she fought a flood during her husband's absence. She stood for hours in the drenching downpour and dug an overflow gutter to save the dam across the creek. But she couldn't save it. There are things that a bushwoman cannot do. Next morning the dam was broken, and her heart was nearly broken too, for she thought how her husband would feel when he came home and saw the result of years of labour swept away. She cried then, She also fought the pleuro-pneumonia, dosed and bled the few remaining cattle, and wept again when her two best cows died. Again she fought a mad bullock that besieged the house for a day. She made bullets and fired at him through cracks in the slabs with an old shotgun. He was dead in the morning. She skinned him and got seventeen and six for the hide. She also fights the crows and eagles that have designs on her chickens, Her plan of campaign is very original. The children cry, Crows, mother! And she rushes out and aims the broomstick at the birds as though it were a gun and says, Bang! The crows leave in a hurry. They are cunning, but a woman's cunning is greater. Occasionally a bushman in the horrors or a villainous-looking sundowner comes and nearly scares the life out of her. She generally tells the suspicious-looking stranger that her husband and two sons are at work below the dam or over at the yard, for he always cunningly inquires about the boss. Only last week a gallows-faced swagman, having satisfied himself that there were no men on the place, threw his swag down on the veranda and demanded tucker. She gave him something to eat. Then he expressed his intention of staying for the night. It was sundown then, she got a batten from the sofa, loosened the dog, and confronted the stranger, holding the batten in one hand and the dog's collar with the other. "'Now you go,' she said. He looked at her and at the dog and said, "'All right, Mum,' in a cringing tone, and left. She was a determined-looking woman, and alligator's yellow eyes glared unpleasantly. Besides, the dog's choring-up apparatus greatly resembled that of the reptile he was named after. <laughs> She has few pleasures to think of as she sits here alone by the fire, on guard against the snake. All days are much the same to her, but on Sunday afternoon she dresses herself, tidies the children, smartens up the baby and goes for a lonely walk along the bush track, pushing an old perambulator in front of her. She does this every Sunday. She takes as much care to make herself and the children look smart as she would if she were going to do the block in the city." There's nothing to see, however, and not a soul to meet. You might walk for twenty miles along this track without being able to fix a point in your mind, unless you're a bushman. This is because of the everlasting, maddening sameness of the stunted trees, that monotony which makes a man long to break away and travel as far as trains can go, and sail as far as ships can sail, and further. But this bushwoman is used to the loneliness of it. As a girl wife she hated it, but now she would feel strange away from it. She is glad when a husband returns, but she does not gush or make a fuss about it. She gets him something good to eat, and tidies up the children. She seems contented with her lot. She loves her children, but has no time to show it. She seems harsh to them. Her surroundings are not favourable to the development of a womanly or sentimental side of nature. It must be near morning now, but the clock is in the dwelling-house. Her candle is nearly done. She forgot that she was out of candles. Some more wood must be got to keep the fire up, and so she shuts the dog inside and hurries round to the wood heap. The rain has cleared off. She seizes a stick, pulls it out, and crash! The whole pile collapses. Yesterday she bargained with a stray black fellow to bring her some wood, and while he was at work she went in search of a missing cow. She was absent an hour or so, and the native black made good use of his time. On her return she was so astonished to see a good heap of wood by the chimney that she gave him an extra fig of tobacco and praised him for not being lazy. He thanked her and left with head erect and chest well out. He was the last of his tribe and a king, but he had built that wood heap hollow. She's hurt now, and tears springing to her eyes as she sits down again by the table. She takes up a handkerchief to wipe the tears away, but pokes her eyes with her bare fingers instead. The handkerchief is full of holes, and she finds that she has put her thumb through one and her forefinger through another. This makes her laugh, to the surprise of the dog. She has a keen, very keen sense of the ridiculous, and some time or other she will amuse Bushman with that story. She's been amused before like that. One day she sat down, to have a good cry, as she said, and the old cat rubbed against her dress and cried too. (laughs) Then she had to laugh. It must be near daylight. The room is very close and hot because of the fire. Alligator still watches the wall from time to time. Suddenly he becomes greatly interested. He draws himself a few inches nearer the partition, and a thrill runs through his body. The hair on the back of his neck begins to bristle, and the battle light is in his yellow eyes. She knows what this means and lays her hand on the stick. The lower end of one of the partition slabs has a crack on both sides. An evil pair of small, bright, bead-like eyes glisten at one of the holes. The snake, a black one, comes slowly out, about a foot, and moves its head up and down. The dog lies still, and the woman sits as one fascinated. The snake comes out a foot further. She lifts her stick, and the reptile, as though suddenly aware of danger, sticks his head in through the crack on the other side of the slab and hurries to get his tail around after him. Alligator springs, and his jaws come together with a snap. He misses, for his nose is large, and the snake's body close down in the angle formed by the slabs in the floor. He snaps again as the tail comes round. He has the snake now, and tugs it out eighteen inches. Thud! THUD! comes the woman's club on the ground. Alligator pulls again. THUD! THUD! Alligator gives another pull and has the snake out. A black brute, five feet long. The head rises to dart about, but the dog has the enemy close to the neck. He is a big, heavy dog, but quick as a terrier. He shakes the snake as though he felt the original curse in common with mankind. The eldest boy wakes up, seizes his stick, and tries to get out of bed but his mother forces him back with a grip of iron. Thud! Thud! The snake's back is broken in several places. Thud! Thud! Its head is crushed, and alligator's nose skinned again. She lifts the mangled reptile on the point of her stick and carries it to the fire, and throws it in, then piles on the wood and watches the snake burn. The boy and the dog watch, too. She lays her hand on the dog's head, and all the fierce angry light dies out of his yellow eyes. The younger children are quietened, and presently go to sleep. The dirty-legged boy stands for a moment in his shirt, watching the fire. Presently he looks up at her, sees the tears in her eyes, and throwing his arms around her neck, exclaims, "'Mother, I won't never go droving! Blast me if I do!' and she hugs him to her worn-out breast and kisses him, and they sit thus together while the sickly daylight breaks over the bush.